You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. And we begin with the latest breaking details of that aggressive brush fire that forced the closure of the Sea to Sky Highway. We'll go right to Krista Dow, who's live with more on the firefight. And Krista, crews have been attacking the flames from the air and on the ground. Yeah, Chris, firefighters really hitting this fire with everything they got, both from the air and from the ground. And we are here at the staging area, and we've seen about a dozen aircraft looking to just try to extinguish this, uh, the fire as quickly as possible. West Vancouver Fire and Rescue telling us the fire was spotted at around 1 this afternoon near White Lake, and that's just east of Horseshoe Bay. The highway closed to vehicle traffic in both directions at Horseshoe Bay as firefighters attack it from all sides and detours are in place. Now, we're told planes will be going for at least another hour, dropping fire retardant and water. In total, about a dozen aircraft responding to this brush fire, and that includes skimmers and viewing helicopters, plus dozens of of ground firefighters. Now, the fire is estimated to be about three hectares in size. And firefighters on the ground just telling us moments ago that they are advancing on the fire and the fire looking significantly smaller than earlier. No, Chris, the fire is believed to have been human caused and at this hour remains under investigation. So overall, though, not out of the woods just yet, but crews on the ground telling us they are making progress on the fire front. Chris. All right, good to hear that. And a very quiet Highway 99 behind you right now because it's closed, of course. Detours are in effect. Thanks very much for that, Krista. Rush hour has been an added challenge for some folks. Trish Jewison is live in Global One for us right now with more on that part of the story. Trish, how does it look where you are tonight? Well, it's not too busy where I am right now. They won't let us anywhere near the uh, fire zone in that airspace. So I'm in West Vancouver, just past Taylor Way towards 15th Street. And it looks like traffic's pretty good shape here. This fire has been going for quite some time, so it looks like a lot of people are just avoiding this area altogether, which is probably the best thing you can do. Earlier, a little bit earlier, during the main part of the evening rush, the uh, Lionsgate Bridge and the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge were extra busy with extra traffic, but they seem to be easing off a little bit now. So continue to avoid uh, Highway 99, the upper level, just past the upper levels highway by Horseshoe Bay, because you will be detoured through Horseshoe Bay through there because of this fire. Back to you, Chris. Good night just to stay home. Trish, thanks very much for that. The BC Wildfire Service is also responding to two new fires burning on the outskirts of Port Alberni. The Roger Creek fires are small. They're described as spot-sized and are burning just outside of the Port Alberni municipal boundary. The Wildfire Service says the fires are now being held, and right now there is no risk to any structures in the area. The fires are believed to also have been human-caused and are being called suspicious. So far this season, crews have responded to 46 wildfires on Vancouver Island. Last year at this time, there had been only two. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on this hot, dry weather in the forecast and the fire risk in some of these areas, Christy. 
Well, I thought I would start off with the Howe Sound region as well as West Vancouver. It is currently only labeled as a moderate fire danger rating, but it just gives you an idea with the fire there today. It ignited so quickly and spread so quickly as well. Even at a moderate level, conditions are so dry that it's incredibly dangerous. Now, it is important to note as well, the Howe Sound region was a bit windy today. That may have helped to sort of fan the fire and spread it along. But across Vancouver Island, we're already at a high to extreme level right now, and we'll show you more on the rest of the province when I come back. But here's a look at the lower mainland sort of south coast forecast. We have no rain in the forecast as far as we can see again. And yes, as we head into the long weekend, temperatures will soar and that will dry out the fuels once again. Chris, back to you. Sure will. Okay, we'll check in a little bit later uh, with more details. Thanks very much, Christy. Now, as we head into the summer travel and road trip season, many British Columbians say they're crossing BC off the list. According to a new poll, locals expect wildfires to disrupt their summer travel plans in the province. And Catherine Urquhart has more. Smoky skies and poor air quality are not what anyone wants on vacation. Recently, the Cameron Bluffs fire closed Highway 4 for two and a half weeks, cutting off Dufino, Port Alberni and the new Chalnuth First Nation from the rest of the island and hurting tourism. I was supposed to go over when I went to Vancouver Island. I was supposed to go to Tofino um, for like a week. Um, but instead, obviously, like the road's been closed. Now a survey shows our wildfires are seriously impacting summer plans. Over 90% of British Columbians are really feeling like this is going to be a bad wildfire season. And we're also seeing that it's anticipated that it's going to uh, upheave travel for a lot of British Columbians this summer. BCAA's poll by Leger shows 63% of us expect wildfires to change our travel plans. 47% of us are less likely to vacation within BC and 75% of us are concerned about wildfires impacting BC's tourism and economy. Having either family or friends come into town, sometimes the smoke can keep planes from taking off or coming into town, so that's awful. Many Okanagan businesses are bracing for the impact of this fire season while trying to remain hopeful. It is in the back of our mind. It can be anything in terms of the extremes, but of course we're always really hopeful that we have a season that is very safe and, um, and smoke-free. Tourism Minister told Global News, government is working to ensure timely communication to help keep visitors safe when disasters hit, adding that after our focus shifts to taking quick action to help the tourism sector recover. Recovery already top of mind for many, as this season's wildfire count tops 500, with 148 million spent on suppression. BC on track to have one of its worst wildfire seasons. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A lot more people are planning to catch a flight this summer, and there's new advice for those expecting to pass through YVR. Grace Key joins us with more on how the airport is preparing and the new measures rolled out to help travelers. Grace. Well, this summer, between July and August, YVR expects 7 million passengers to pass through here. That's 1 million more from the same time last year. So they're really trying to push their new measures and digital tools, things they say will help make it just quicker and easier for passengers to pass through here. Just choose the earliest appointment. Anytime? 
Yeah, or at the earliest one. Jessica Stafford and her family are heading back to Calgary. For the first time, they're using YVR Express, a free service. 1245? Sure. Perfect. It allows them to make an appointment to enter security screening instead of standing in line. It was a good experience, um, really easy. I think it was, I love the digital aspect to it. You know, perf, it was on our phone. We didn't need to go on like a random laptop or something. It was just super accessible. We had great help over there. Loved it, 10 out of 10, recommend. Getting stuck in lines is never fun, especially when you've got little ones who can't stay still. With 7 million passengers expected to go through YVR this summer, there are some tips and tricks to help you get through a little quicker. Now, with mobile passport control, U.S. citizens and Canadian visitors can simplify their entry into the United States right from the palm of their hands. Mobile passport control is another tool. It allows you to streamline your inspection process, ultimately cutting back on your wait time. ArriveCan wasn't just for COVID travel. It still exists. You can save time by providing a customs and immigration declaration in advance. There are several tips on the YVR website, including a step-by-step -step passenger guide specific to your flight that helps you navigate the airport. If you prefer a more personal touch, YVR has also hired more than 150 extra staff to help on the floor and with any problems, such as the staff shortage at NAVCAN over the weekend that caused delays. We have as many people on the floor to assist with that flow as possible, so if there is going to be a queue because we've got a constraint somewhere, We've got the right people with the right information ready there to help and prioritize those cues so people can get through on time. Like I get to go back, go back home to Calgs really quickly. So easy. I'm going to have such a nice flight. And if you are planning on traveling on a Sunday in August, just be prepared. They do anticipate those days to be some of the busiest this summer. Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Grace. Grace Key reporting from YVR tonight. A nonprofit helping marginalized people is calling for an immediate end to the Fraser Valley transit strike. The group Archway Community Services says the strike is harming the most vulnerable and mediation so far has been unable to secure a deal. Janet Brown reports. I think it's time for the employer uh, to get a contract with the union. I do feel for those workers. I mean, they pay lower than anybody else, any other bus driver and have no pension plan. Fraser Valley transit strike has been going on since mid-March and on June 8th, veteran mediator Vince Reddy was appointed by the provincial government to try and bring the two sides together to work out an end to the dispute. Reddy was given 10 days to reach terms of an agreement between QP Local 561 and bus operator First Transit, a private company contracted to run the service. Benefits and the union's request for wages closer to their counterparts in Metro Vancouver are the key issues. But now the Labour Ministry says Reddy has asked for more time. It says meetings between Reddy and the two parties are ongoing. On June 20th, the special mediator requested more time to continue discussions, which is allowed under the terms of reference. The ministry has no further comment while this process continues. Archway Community Services in Abbotsford says the strike is impacting the most vulnerable and is calling for an urgent resolution. The seniors really rely on public transportation. They're less likely to access Uber, say, because of the technological barrier. Um, and taxis are just not feasible. Many seniors are living on fixed incomes and already struggling with the food costs and housing costs. For those without transit, it is frustrating. It's inconvenient, yes. Especially if I had to be somewhere at a certain time and um, 
and it's at the other end of town. It's just harder to get there. Do you take the yeah. bus yourself, sir? Every day. At least I used to. And to take a taxi, you know, doesn't make sense. If no agreement is reached, Reddy can issue recommendations on how to best end the strike. Janet Brown, Global News. We have reached out to the union for comment, and they say out of respect for the mediation process, they are not doing interviews. We've also reached out to the company for comment. Healthcare, inflation, and the economy, just some of the topics expected to be discussed by Western Premiers at a conference starting tomorrow in Whistler, and that's where Richard Zussman is for us tonight. Richard, attendees are arriving today. What are you hearing about the priorities uh, for discussion this week? Those are some of the big ones you mentioned, Chris. The premiers are in here right now, First Nations uh, Cultural Center here in Whistler, uh, speaking to leaders from First Nations communities, from the business community, from labor communities about those key issues. Also on the agenda starting tomorrow, public safety, carbon pricing and climate change. And the big one is infrastructure. B.C. is looking for money from the federal government around big projects here, including the Massey Tunnel Change, Highway 1Y, as well as addressing the issue around moving goods around the province. Uh, the Western Premiers want to have a unified front when they go to Ottawa to ask for money. Uh, and so those are going to be the big priorities on the table when it comes to getting those infrastructure funds. Here's Premier David Eby from a little bit earlier today. We're seeing uh, impacts of growing population, growing trade volumes, uh, and uh, certainly economic success. But with that comes the need to upgrade that essential infrastructure. Policies are always important, Chris, at these meetings, but almost more important are building those relationships. Uh, this will be some of the most substantial face-to-face -face meetings for Premier David Eby with Premier Danielle Smith from Alberta, Premier Scott Moe from Saskatchewan, Premier Heather Stephenson from Manitoba. And although Alberta and B.C. Premiers have had frosty relationships in the past, the hope is they will build a strong relationship here because the relationship between our two provinces is so crucial for tourism, the economy. So we'll have to watch to see how that goes uh, during tomorrow's meetings. Look forward to your coverage. Thanks very much, Richard. That's Richard Zussman and Whistler for us tonight. David Eby is hosting the Western Premiers just a couple of days after his party cruised to victory in a pair of provincial by-elections. The results are notable not only for the NDP's margin of victory, but for the poor showing of the opposition BC United candidates. It's a political flop making a former Premier giddy. These guys, not very many. <laughs> BC United, once known as the BC Liberals, finishing fourth in the Langford Wanda Fuca by election. John Horgan's old riding, finishing second, the BC Conservatives. A blow for Kevin Falcon and his newly named party forming the official opposition. To win those voters back, Kevin Falcon has to sound more liberal. And, and that may be alienating his more conservative-based supporters. And how he threads that needle, I think, is, is always been the challenge. There are factors at play in the BC United collapse, low voter turnout, and the new name. The first time the branding was tested with voters. We knew that we'd only changed our party name 10 weeks ago and that we were going to pay a price for that, and we did. Uh, and that's not altogether surprising. We've got a lot of work to do to make sure people understand the new BC United. But Conservatives insist it's more than that. Aaron Gunn is a popular right-wing filmmaker, banned from running for the BC Liberal leadership against Falcon because of comments about reconciliation. I think British Columbians are frustrated on a whole host of issues, whether it's uh, how it's becoming unaffordable to live here, 
or the increases in crime and chaos in our streets, and they want an actual alternative. And I think when they look at the BC United, they don't see an actual alternative. The 20% of vote the Conservatives got in Langford isn't enough to take any seats, but in traditional BC United areas like Langley, Chilliwack, Abbotsford, even Richmond, it would be enough to help the NDP win. BC Liberals or BC United have always presented themselves as a coalition of Liberal and Conservative voters, but that coalition may now be broken. And with the promise to run Conservatives in all 93 ridings in next fall's provincial election, it puts a big question to the test. When it comes to the right, how united really is BC United? Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Paul rejoins us live with a little bit more on these by-elections, Keith, and what the Premier is saying mm -hmm. about the outcomes he witnessed. Yeah, indeed. I think the story of the night was the rise of the Conservative Party along with the stumble of BC United. It can be argued in 2020, the presence of a Conservative candidate allowed the NDP to win four ridings that never won before in Abbotsford Mission, Langley East, Chilliwack and Vernon Monashie. But there are other ridings in play potentially. If the Conservatives do indeed run a, a candidate in every riding, some of the close races last time may tip to the NDP's favour. Kamloops North Thompson decided by just 196 votes. Surrey White Rock, 224 votes. Fraser Nicola, two. 282 vote difference. Again, if Conservatives run those bottom two ridings, that could be enough to steal enough votes away from BC United to give uh, the victory to the NDP. The Premier was asked today, okay, you had a very good night on Saturday night when, when handily, also you're seeing your major opponents stumble, BC United, and the rise of the Conservatives could split the vote. Does that not set the, the stage for an early election? Here's his reply. I'm not uh, interested in an early election. Uh, we won't be calling an early election. We're going to go to the fixed date uh, election. And the reason for that is uh, our province faces some big challenges around health care, around housing, around uh, mental health and addiction, homelessness, uh, what's happening in our streets, around the cost of living. And, uh, and again, I, I was out on the streets with, uh, with Joan, uh, with Ravi. Uh, we talked to a lot of people. Uh, not one person said, uh, I really hope you call a general election soon. So again, if he sticks to his guns, and I think he will, the next election will be October 19th, 2024. That gives time for BC United to get their brand better known out there with the voters, but it also gives time for the BC Conservatives to improve their brand and their uh, prominence in BC politics, and that would come at a cost to the BC United. So a lot to happen between now and October 2024. Circled on the calendar already. Thanks very much, Keith. <laughs> Well, the trail went cold weeks ago, but then a major breakthrough in the case of a missing hiker. She disappeared on a trail in Souk, and now technology is helping retrace what might have been her final steps. How it could bring closure to a mysterious case, next on the News Hour. Tracking food waste using artificial intelligence, how the technology is watching what you throw away later on the news hour. And a kayaker gets some company off a popular Australian beach. That amazing video a little bit later as well. Right now, though, Melissa McDevitt disappeared on a hike near the Souk potholes in December of last year. Her family has never let up on the campaign to find her. And recently they caught a break that's given them hope one day the mystery might be solved. Kylie Stanton has more. This is the family. Happy days. They were known as MMT, Maggie, Melissa and Tom. The MMT together and she's got her arms around us both. It's a feeling these parents would give anything to experience once again. That link between them still missing. I still find it hard to believe at moments during my day 
that Melissa is not here. Melissa McDevitt disappeared on December 9th of last year. The 39-year-old was described as neurodivergent. McDevitt's family realized something was wrong when she missed her flight home for the holidays. A missing persons report was filed, and knowing she had been hiking the Souk area, officers were directed to the trails. A search started as soon as her vehicle was located here. But two weeks later, with no sign of Melissa, the search suspended indefinitely, leaving her father to return home to North Carolina alone. It was kind of surreal that this really isn't happening. But parenting is all about showing up and giving up, not an option. Car keys, her phone. The McDevitts have devoted the past six months to keeping Melissa's story at the forefront, creating posters and perhaps more importantly, connections. There are people that just want to find Melissa. Now back on the island, Tom joins in three times a week. Yeah, you just think of everything and then you bounce ideas off of your partners. The collaboration recently resulting in a significant development. Through photos, the group was able to determine the watch Melissa was wearing at the time she disappeared. And with the help of her parents, they were able to get into her account, accessing her most recent routes, including this one, logged one day before she went missing. A short hike she was likely to explore further the following day. Melissa went in, but never came out. It's right where we were already looking, which was nice to know that we thought we were on the right track. To bring them closure would be, would be, would be in the world. The case remains active. Souk RCMP saying we also continue to consult with Wanda Fuca Search and Rescue as new information is learned. And so the work continues. We feel she's ready to come home. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. And up next, a call for accountability at the Children's Ministry. There are too many injuries and too many deaths of our kids when they're in the care under the ministry. What Minister Mitzi Dean says about those calling for her resignation over a disturbing case of child neglect and the child custody case that could change how future disputes are settled. Big delays here for southbound traffic at the Alex Fraser Bridge because of a four-car crash southbound at mid-span. Through Kermac Care for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Kermac choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Alex Fraser Bridge. A judge is being asked to decide whether the B.C. Human Rights Tribunal overstepped its bounds when it ruled a mother was discriminated against by child protection authorities when they took her children away. As Kamal Kuramali reports, the case could have far-reaching implications on B.C.'s Indigenous child welfare system. I feel validated. I feel that my story has been heard. It was a landmark human rights ruling back in November. The B.C. Human Rights Tribunal siding with an Afro-Indigenous mother reuniting her with her four children after they were removed from her care in 2016 by the Vancouver Aboriginal Child and Family Services Society, or VACFAS. The woman whose identity we've protected because she has underaged children was awarded $150,000. She thought the worst was behind her until in January, VACFAS decided to challenge the ruling, filing a petition with the Supreme Court of B.C. It was re-traumatizing. You know, she had won. 
the battle was over. Ever since she found that out, she's relived the pain. Vakfas argues granting custody to the mother is not a human rights tribunal issue, but one that should be handled in BC Provincial Court. They can't go to the tribunal, they can only go to the court, but the court doesn't have the power to make decisions about discrimination. It leaves them in a vacuum where their human rights can't be enforced. Vakfas would not provide Global News with an on-camera interview, but said in a statement it's going to court reluctantly because it believes the BC Human Rights Tribunal has overstepped its jurisdiction in this ruling. The lawyer representing the mother says if VACFAS wins the appeal process, then it may deter other parents from stepping forward. That could send a chilling effect to other parents who can't. Not everyone has the strength or the resources to go through this. Either way, the decision will set a new legal precedence for future cases. It can be, again, a tool in our toolkit that we can continue to use. And one of the building blocks to reparation and reconciliation. The hearing will take place in late August, but a decision likely won't be made for months. Kamel Karamali, Global News. There will be an investigation into a horrific case of child abuse that led to the death of a child in foster care. The child and youth advocate made the announcement this afternoon, but the First Nations Leadership Council is calling for the resignation of Mitzi Dean, the Minister of Children and Family Development, who they believe is ultimately responsible. Kristen Robinson has the details. BC's representative for children and youth will conduct a full investigation into what led to the horrendous treatment, including starvation and torture, of two Indigenous children in foster care in Lake Arok, one of whom died. The circumstances of what these children endured was horrific, and uh, they deserve to have the very best oversight and the very best review so that situations like this don't happen again. The First Nations Leadership Council calling for the minister responsible's immediate resignation and an overhaul of the foster care system to support Indigenous jurisdiction of Indigenous children. A child dies under your watch. That is enough for me to call for your resignation. The evidence heard in court indicated the Ministry of Children and Family Development hadn't checked on the children for seven months. That is where the ball got dropped. And if they had followed through on the policies um, that guide them, they would have probably been able to determine at a much earlier stage that something was not right. Why did these foster children fall through the cracks? Yeah, you're right. This is an absolute tragedy. And uh, my deepest apologies and sympathies um, go out. Mitzi Dean admits not all policies were followed at the Hope MCFD office, but says after a review, changes were made. Cheryl Kazmer disappointed with the minister's response. Well, this is a real tragedy and my deepest sympathies. Well, this is a real tragedy and uh, my deepest sympathies. I'm absolutely horrified. I'm absolutely horrified. Oh, she just continued to repeat that same phrase over and over again without any consideration to how the sibling might feel, how the family, extended family and community might feel. And I just thought it was really heartless. I thought it was cold and heartless. Kazmer says there were also calls for accountability after social worker Robert Riley Saunders was sentenced to five years in prison for stealing almost half a million dollars from the MCFD in the names of 24 youth in his care, most of whom were Indigenous. If they're not prepared to make the changes that are necessary to protect our kids, well, then it's time to make a change at that level. The minister did not respond to calls for her resignation, but sent a statement saying her ministry supports the watchdog's investigation 
and will address all recommendations. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Coming up, a huge victory for a local developer trying to build a retail and condo project in Chinatown. How the 10-year battle was resolved next. Also an issue, or sorry, an Aussie kayaker gets some company during a paddle around Sydney. Yes, an issue with whales. Good evening, and here we have southbound traffic on Highway 99 through Richmond to the Massey. A lot of people are bridge and also dealing with its own stall southbound at mid-span. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. And we have some late breaking news about a controversial condo project in the heart of Vancouver's Chinatown. Aaron MacArthur is live at Vancouver City Hall with the decision after a lot of back on 105 Kiefer. Aaron? Yeah, yeah, 105 Kiefer has become a bit of a hot potato for Vancouver City Hall. BD Living, the developer, first came to the city in 2014 with an 11-story tower. That was rejected by a previous city council. They then amended it to nine stories, and it was rejected by the Development Permit Board. Then a court uh, challenge ensued, and the courts told the board to re consider their decision and that's where we were at today after hours of public meeting and vociferous opposition and, and a good deal of support as well. The board today voted unanimously to move the nine-story project forward with considerable alterations. The building will have bigger setbacks. The corner of the building at Kiefer will be changed and how the building interacts with existing public amenities will also need to be changed. No deal breakers in there according to Beatty, but for the low income seniors and hundreds of housing activists who say this was the wrong building for the neighborhood, it's a disappointing day. And I'm glad uh, the process uh, ended, ended up the way it is. I do think this is, or we do think this is the proper development for Chinatown, which helps align with the city of Vancouver's plans to revitalize Chinatown. So even though it took a little longer than we expected, we're glad that uh, we're on our way. The decision that they made today is going to exacerbate displacement and it's going to accelerate gentrification in a neighborhood that is already increasingly unlivable for our low-income seniors and residents. The board also urged Beatty to look for Chinese architects and artists in the community to better get a handle of what the building should look like. Beatty now will sit down with the city staff and deal with all of these recommendations. There's no timeline yet on when shovels might hit the ground. Chris? Good to have an answer, though, from the city. I'm sure they're thankful. Thanks very much, Aaron MacArthur, reporting for us tonight. Now, a group of counselors, veterans, and mental health experts are heading to Ukraine in an effort to provide support for the offensive push in that country. The humanitarian mission aims to alleviate stress and trauma caused by the ongoing war. The partnership between the White Rock Rotary Club and the Institute for Veterans Education and Transition builds on previous fundraising efforts. The focus is to create a health improvement program, empowering local and international clinicians and raising awareness of mental health in the area. The nation has been experiencing heightened trauma since February 24th, 2022. In order for the Ukrainian military to succeed, they need their personnel at 
and in order for the country to rebuild as quickly as possible after the war, the people need to be at 100%. And the only way to do that, to ensure that, is for them to get the help that they need now. And the Rotary Club hopes to fundraise $10,000 to supplement the cost, including airfare, accommodation, and supplies. Still ahead, who's watching what you throw out? I had a giant dinosaur stuffed animal come out one time. How artificial intelligence can tell if your green bin habits are good or not. And later in sports, sure, it's early, but the BC Lions have a perfect season going. Why the coach believes his players deserve it. From the stories that affect us all to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. A kayaker in Australia got an unexpected and very large visitor over the weekend. I don't even know if this guy knows. Mate, do you know there's a whale just following you? Pretty cool. Check it out. A drone captures the moment a curious humpback whale gets up close and personal following a kayaker. It happened on Saturday at Sydney's Bondi Beach. The encounter occurred during the annual migration of humpbacks from the Southern Ocean to Australia's East Coast. Doesn't matter what you want to do on the water, whether you want to go to the beach or kayaking around here, weather's going to be really nice for it. And Christy's got more on that, plus the fire risk in some of these areas, Christy. That's exactly right, Chris. I just wanted to mention, I used to teach sailing when I was back in high school, and mm -hmm. I was in Boundary Bay, and a gray whale came right up beside my uh, boat, and it was wow. crazy. I was on the boat by myself and just seeing this eye sort of turn and look at me, <laughs> and it was very surreal being on the boat. You kind of get all scared, and then he just dropped down and away and floated off. That was crazy. All right. So, yeah. So the fire danger rating, as we talked about for the lower mainland, is only at a moderate level. And you can see in through the interior regions, it's not too bad either. We're already at high to extreme across all of these areas and certainly across Vancouver Island. But it's not going to take much for us to transition all of the province to high to extreme. This is the forecast for the southern interior regions to give you perspective. Right now, we've got a ridge of high pressure that's going to build and hold strong with no significant rain in the forecast, other than a few isolated showers or thunderstorms. Of course, those come with lightning strikes so there certainly is a concern we already right now have some lightning strikes and we'll have the potential again tomorrow afternoon so keep your eye on the sky if you're in through the east fraser valley they're starting to dissipate now but again tomorrow afternoon we have that potential and you can see that pop up in the forecast uh this is the forecast map showing that all across the interior region so eye on the sky tomorrow afternoon otherwise enjoy the sunshine over the next several days everyone so that risk of thunderstorms is from the bc peace river area right down through the south, including the Fraser Valley region. Uh, lots of sunshine, though, and warmth. Uh, we may see a bit of cloud cover tomorrow, but otherwise we're expecting sunshine and warmth. Over the long weekend, temperatures are going to soar heads up on that. Right now, we could see temperatures away from the water reach close to about 30 degrees. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from... Sorry, there it is. Coming to you from Slocan Lake. This is uh, looking out from Silverton. And Nikita sent us uh, that great shot of someone paddling out there. Chris, back to you. No whales in that lake. Maybe a big salmon or kokanee would come up and check it out on slow can. But that was such a cool story that you had that close encounter with a big gray whale. Uh, awesome. Okay, there's crazy. Squire. Uh, he is here with a look ahead to sports. Well, we all know that the Vancouver Canucks hate 
the idea of a rebuild. But what we are seeing from the BC Lions so far this year is the direct result of a rebuild. That was the idea um, a couple years ago as we were gonna invest in some younger coaches and younger players and let them grow and develop. But they don't want to get too high on that 3-0 start, not when there are 15 games left before the playoffs. Very prudent. Also coming up, how artificial intelligence can make us smarter when it comes to our food waste. Squires back. Too soon to compare the BC Lions with the uh, 72 Miami Dolphins. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, they play in different leagues. <laughs> I know. But, one's you know, four down, one's three season. downs. It's like, yeah, I think we're a little soon. Yeah. I mean, the Patriots also almost had the undefeated season. Almost. And Eli Manning ruined their world. Mm -hmm. That's another story. Anyway, you never want to peak too soon in life. It's kind of like the cool kids in high school. Remember the cool kids? Some of them peaked too soon. That was their high point. Then the nerds went right by them in their 20s. The uh, BC Lions don't want that. 3-0 in June is great, but it's only 3-0 in June. They're downplaying this start. They're being all modest. But the thing that this start has done is it's let the entire CFL know that just because Nathan Rourke went down to Jacksonville doesn't mean the Lions as a team also went south. Third down. The BC Lions are serving notice they're not only the best team in the West, but also a team to be reckoned with. Seven sacks against the Bombers during a Western Division first place showdown where the Lions dialed down Zach Caleros and kept the Bombers out of the end zone as BC limited Winnipeg to just two field goals. Yeah, our defense is doing a great job of playing as a whole unit. It's really 12 guys playing together. It's not just one superstar getting it done. It's, uh, it's a whole group of guys playing together and uh, doing a great job. And uh, um, that's been a big part of it. The, the thing I liked about our football team is we've always had an answer when the other team is trying to get back into it or make a play. We always respond and, and, and don't let them back in it. So um, you'll get on them. With field goals to show for it. Blitz coming. Again. In three games, BC's defense has allowed a stingy 21 points. And what we're seeing a month into the Leo season is this team truly is a sum of its on-field parts. The offense has scored the second most points in the league, and this is a team that's dominating at home and on the road. We've talked about the fact that you've got a lot of returning players, a lot of second, third-year players. Are we seeing the maturation of a football team right now before our very own eyes that are, you know, hopefully transforming into a championship team? Yeah, I mean, we got a lot of work to do still, but that was the idea um, a couple years ago as we were going to invest in some younger coaches and younger players and let them grow and develop. And I think we have a core group of guys around here that are that are good players. And um, and then our coaching staff, too, of having that continuity really helps just as far as growing chemistry and the players knowing who the coaches are, all that stuff helps. The thing I liked after the Winnipeg game is that they didn't celebrate too hard. They're obviously you should always be happy with, when you win, but uh, we talk about we talked about that game before that it wasn't a make or break game. It was game three of 18, and um, you know they're not going to have to be sold this week on how good Toronto is. They're a 
two and O team that's looked really good. And so, uh, you know, we have tough games coming up with, uh, you know, Toronto and Montreal are the next two, and they're both two and O. So, well, our work cut out for us. Every time I watch S, I was going to say Elks highlights. Mm -hmm. I almost went old school there. They've lost 19 straight home games. How do you lose 19 straight games at home? I don't get it. Uh, not to diminish winning the Canadian Championship, but beating LAFC in Southern California on Saturday night, 3-2, was the Whitecaps' biggest win of the season. It was their first road win that came against the champs. They played without Julian Gressel, who's away on international duty, but it didn't matter because Vancouver's best player was not just their best player that night. He was the best player in Major League Soccer all week. Ryan Gault scored the winner, helped set up two other goals, was named the player of match day 21, which is really a convoluted way of saying he's the MLS player of the week. In fact, in his last five games, Gault has five goals and three assists. Before that, he hadn't scored at all this year because he wasn't fully healthy, really. He was dealing with hamstring issues. The best part of this goal against LAFC was how he took his time. Didn't just shoot when he saw an empty net. Settle it down, then shot, like they teach snipers. Relax, and then shoot. Thirteen years ago, Taylor Hall was the first overall pick. I think it was 13 years ago. Now he's been acquired by Chicago to help the next number one pick on Wednesday, Connor Bedard, settle into the NHL. Hall was traded by Boston, along with the rights to Nick Foligno, to Chicago for two young, cheaper defensemen, Alec Regula and Ian Mitchell. Now, Taylor Hall used to be a big deal. But he isn't the MVP he was five years ago. However, with Connor Bedard passing him the puck, you would think he would have a renaissance season in Chicago. In fact, he might be a good late-round pick for hockey poolsters. It is awards night in the NHL, which means Connor McDavid had to bring a big empty suitcase to Nashville because he'll be leaving with the two biggest trophies. He's already won the Ted Lindsay Award, which is basically the MVP trophy voted on by the players. Fourth time he's won that. He should win the Hart, which is the MVP trophy voted on by the media. He's won that twice before. There you go. You were right about Taylor Hall, by the way. It was 13. 13 years ago? Yeah. Coming up, the Canadian city testing green bin surveillance, busting residents who break the rules. That's next. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, the aerial assault on flames burning near Horseshoe Bay will wrap up for the night in just a few minutes. The ground battle will continue, and we're told crews are making good progress. The fire now pegged at one hectare. Highway 99 is still closed in both directions at Horseshoe Bay Junction. We're watching for updates on when it might reopen. The fire is suspected to be human-caused. Also tonight, what the Township of Langley is doing to try and keep the beloved Twilight Drive-In Theater from shutting down for good. Chris. A noble cause if ever there was one. Yeah. Thanks very much, Jordan. Starting today, the city of Leduc, Alberta, is going high-tech with its trash. It's using technology to find out what people are putting in their green bins, and if residents break the rules, they'll hear about it. At first glance, it appears to be a regular waste collection day in the city of Leduc. But a closer look reveals a new feature in the truck, artificial intelligence technology. The truck will go around, it'll collect the carts as they're put out, and when the materials fall into the hopper of the truck, a photo will be taken. AI cameras can tell if something doesn't belong in the green cart, like a plastic bag. Then the city of Leduc sends a postcard to the house with a photo of the contaminant, the rest of the trash blurred for privacy. 
It comes with information about what can go in the cart. The city of Leduc hopes it will help educate people. The weirdest thing, uh, I had a giant dinosaur stuffed animal come out one time. Data shows 90% of people sort correctly, but the rest need some extra help. Municipalities are trying to get waste sorting right while keeping extra trash out of the landfill. The city of Edmonton's Dennis Chubinville says that's why earlier this year, Edmonton began allowing any type of paper or reusable grocery bags in the green bins. We have a pre-processing facility that enables us to remove a lot of the plastics and other contaminations from the organics. Now, our, our regional partners don't have this. He says Edmonton will be keeping a close eye on Leduc's AI pilot project. We're going to look to see the results from Leduc, and then based on that, we'll make a determination if uh, it's time for us to do it here in Edmonton as well. It's essential people know what goes where because they're step one in the waste reduction chain. If there's too much contamination in your organics cart by a whole, we've wasted everyone's efforts in, in trying to compost. Morgan Black, Global News. Anything you can do to improve the old green bins, not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. All right, who knows if it'll come to BC though. Uh, last word on weather before we go, and a lot of sunshine in the forecast it looks like, Christy. Yeah, I mean, it's terrific. The last week of school for, I know, a lot of kids, and we've got great weather on the way, which is great. It'll be tough for the teachers to keep the kids inside over the next couple of days, that's for sure. Uh, as we head into the long weekend, right now it does look like we'll continue with sunny skies. It does look like temperatures are going to warm up, so a heads up on that where we could see close to 30-degree weather away from the water. Looks like it. Okay, well, mm -hmm. go for a swim. That'll cool you down. Thanks for watching, everyone, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.